So this is your first time on a split board and you are trying to summit Baker right now? And I said, yeah. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Well, Erica, welcome to the show. I just threw you, you know, we're going live now, so welcome. Uh, Erica Kutz is my guest. Erica, you are the brand steward at Mountain Mind. You are an ambassador for multiple outdoor brands. You know, we actually know the same, per- no, sorry, the same person, but uh, when you were working up at Crystal, I threw a name out at you that I worked with 20 some years ago. You knew uh, Dee Patterson and you were recommended uh, to us by one of our previous guests. So all of that being said, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start this conversation? Do you want to talk about graphic design? Do you want to talk about snowboarding, splitboarding? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> We can talk. I mean, I'm always down to talk about snowboarding. Awesome. I'm always down to talk about splitboarding. Just because that. that's 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 approaching. That season's coming. So you're based out of Bellingham. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? I grew up uh, 20 minutes outside of Seattle, uh, just over the lake in Kirkland, Washington. Now, um, let's be honest. 20 minutes outside of Seattle is really about a block out of the city limits with traffic. You can't. No, I kid, but all right. So you grew up in Kirkland. Yes. All right. All right. When did you start? Did you start skiing or snowboarding? I started skiing uh, as soon as I could walk. Um, My dad grew up in Puget Sound area. So he basically raised uh, my brother and I and taught my mom how to ski as well. Um, He raised us in the same mountains that he was able to learn how to ski in. So that was pretty cool. Where did you guys start? Where did you start your skiing and snowboarding adventures then? Snoqualmie Pass. Okay. Yeah. So the home yeah. of the Cascade Concrete. Yep. The, yep. I think yeah. it, I think it, uh, breeds good skiers. <laughs> okay. Uh, and yeah, Alpental as well. Uh, but I, I didn't really start riding Alpental until I became a snowboarder. Okay. So at an early age, well, you're still doing it. Not that you're old. I don't mean like mm-hmm. that, but at a very early age, you were exposed to this sport. You're still doing it. You've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a skier. Um, I'm certainly not a snowboarder. And this whole splitboarding thing that we'll get to is uh, up until a few weeks ago, I, I didn't even know what a splitboard <laughs> was. I mean, the guy said it was a splitboard. I'm like, oh, anyway, we'll get to that. Where I'm putting you on the spot. Where's your favorite place to snowboard in Washington State? I'd say anywhere in the backcountry, uh, especially in the North Cascades. Uh, I just love the high alpine. I love being able to get out in that rugged terrain where, you know, you just, you don't realize how you don't get to see that every day down, down lower in the valleys because there's peaks just hidden behind one another. And once you're up there, you can see everything and you can see all these little zones that you are like, wow, if I had a couple more days out here, I could probably go ride this, this, and this. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's very expansive. It's, it's just to see out here. So help me out because backcountry to me means a gravel road that's next to the interstate. I'm, I'm not an outdoors person at all. My initial reaction is, isn't that a complicated, like 
it's not like going up to the parking lot at Snoqualmie Pass, parking your car, getting on a lift and going down the hill. You've got to work. Mm -hmm. You've got to work here. Mm -hmm. But isn't it is is there not a level of uh, of danger involved? That Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd say it's it's years of experience and avalanche training, avalanche awareness to understand and also constantly paying attention. Like in the wintertime, it becomes uh, an obsession. Like you're looking at the snow forecast, you're looking at how the snowpack is stacking up. So you know what's happening in the mountains and you know how to read, but you're also mm -hmm. looking at wind and temperature and aspects. So you know what you, you know how to read the mountains. You can not only read the surface, but, um, Every day, I mean, when you go out there, you always test the stability of something before you drop in uh, to make sure that that it's a safe line for you and well, your friends. Well, help me out here because you, you say you test, and once again, I know nothing. So, But you can't, you know, without actually going down the, the hillside, mm -hmm. you can't really test other than right where you start. Yeah. So, do you just make, is it just a kind of an educated guess and assumption that if it's, if the snowpack is okay here, that I should be okay down there? Well, there's always, there's always a risk. Um, and I think that's, that's the part that is the scary part, Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you take, usually take a sample. So you'll find an aspect and find, so like a North facing aspect, for example, um, okay. and you're looking for a similar slope degree of like what you're going to be riding and you'll dig in and do a, a test where you can see the layers of okay. the snow and like how things are bonding and you can kind of like tap it and you can see where it, it might shear, shear off. Mm, okay. So All really right. it's just, uh, it's, it's risk tolerance, but it's always, it's also just being smart and knowing like what, what your environment is and, mm -hmm. uh, and what what's available uh what information so, is available in the snow so when you do this you go up by yourself without a cell phone uh just untethered from the world not kid how does one when you do this are you going up with a a, a group of people usually yeah i try usually? to keep uh groups like smaller than than four or five yeah okay and so give me an example help me wrap my brain you said the north cascades give me an example of in sake of conversation, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Let's say it's a Wednesday in January and there's snow on the, up in the mountains. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're, in our, it's January and you want to go up snowboarding today. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to go? Where's the go-to place that you go? If I had all day? Yeah, you got all day. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd probably go out to like Highway 20. Uh, I honestly, I love, I love it out there. And you can drive like up the highway and go hike for a few miles up a few thousand vertical feet and find some really sweet terrain. Um, but there's also, I mean, anywhere, um, from basically highway 20 to, or like Everett to mm -hmm. the Canadian border. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's tons of stuff to explore. So I'd probably be like researching online and, you know, gathering my crew and seeing who else wants to, Who's got a, uh, a Wednesday this, all, this, uh, all day? Yeah, who else wants to humor this this crazy idea? Um, like, let's go, let's go up a. It depend. It also just like depends on what's accessible, right? Like, I okay. don't have a 
an overlander vehicle so yeah so like, what are you what are you driving up there what are you uh, uh, i drive a honda element all-wheel okay. drive yeah. yeah okay so i have a honda uh, a honda pilot so it's mm-hmm. it's a, a reasonable vehicle but it's not gonna get you super super off-road yeah exactly at least, yeah at least mine doesn't go super super off-road okay but you just said you're gonna hike you're gonna hike up Mm-hmm. So all I'm hearing is this is a lot of work. <laughs> I'm hearing, so this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing, well, we're going to research. We're going to have to herd the cats to get together. We're all going to pile in the Honda element. We're going to drive, let's say an hour. And then we're going to hike up a few thousand feet. That, well, that won't take long. <laughs> and then we're going to ride down. Yeah. Sounds fun. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but so my question is, if you, if you go to all that work, is that to get one ride in that day or what, like, what's the payoff here? Is it not just one run down the hillside? It, it depends on the objective. Uh, okay. you know, if you want to ride something really cool, it's like, maybe that's your one objective of the day. There's a certain couloir, there's a certain peak. Um, or if there's something a little bit shorter and you just want to get laps in and get some powder, uh, it's, it's the best way I think to get, get the fresh powder that everyone's chasing in the resort. Um, I love a good resort day. Don't get me wrong. I love, Uh I love skiing resorts. (laughs) Um, but it's a lot easier on my, on my knees and my, uh, all my joints to, to ride softer snow. Okay. So, yeah. All right. How long had you been snowboarding when you started doing the, this more oh, gosh. Back country <laughs> stuff? Uh, let's see. I think, um, I was 13 when I started snowboarding and then I think I was 21, 22 when I started back country, I think, um, okay. yeah, that was my main I, I like had gone on a couple of little trips with like snowshoes and my snowboard strapped to my back um, with friends in college, which was very stupid. I had no <laughs> avalanche awareness uh, and no training. My friends were like, oh, you'll be fine. Just like come on this hut trip with us. Snow. We'll take care it's of just... you. So, you know, I, I definitely like am grateful for those experiences, but I don't recommend doing that because if something happens to your friends, like, you're going to feel terrible because you don't know what to do. Right. Um, but fortunately there was a lot of us and we, we all kind of stuck together, but yeah. So I guess that's, I can't do math this early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I go ahead. But you went to Western just to, yes. to give, give the audience a little bit. Yeah. So you went to Western. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just the foothills of the North Cascades really. All right. So put you on the spot. What's your favorite memory of all of these so far? I uh, went on a solo road trip uh, up to Fernie, BC back in 2019, right before the pandemic. And uh, I was on my way to Revelstoke to go to their split fest because I had a, a couple friends working up there and giving presentations. And um, I had a friend and mentor who was 
who had given me a lot of advice uh, on international travel, like in Chile and New Zealand, like what mountains to go check out there. And I really wanted to like meet him and and go touring with him. And uh, then a brand that um, I was I'm, I'm friends with, like Karakoram, they make backcountry snowboard bindings in North Bend. And uh, yeah, they were they were giving like demos and there's all these other brands so anyways i made the pilgrimage up to the um i guess like the powder highway area (laughs) i don't know exactly i can't like off the top of my head like i can't tell you what the powder highway all encompasses i think there's like a really specific area but i think revelstoke is a part of that um and yeah golden and kicking horse and that whole zone uh but that's that's really like that was just the most amazing week, I'd say, of my snowboard riding career. Okay. So we're get, we're gonna fact check that, by the way, yeah. just to make. No, I'm just kidding. You, you could have. Okay. You please you yeah, please said, someone fact check me. You could have said Calgary <laughs> and Edmonton, and I would have just nodded. Oh yeah, those are Canadian places. I get it. Okay. So that was that was the memory that serves you. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned splitboarding a couple of times. My knowledge of split boarding was I had a guest on who runs um, gear house and they rent rent equipment. And during this conversation with him, he, he, you know, he mentions split boarding and I probably had this perplexed look on my face and he kind of explained to me. And up until that time, I'd never, never heard of this, this at all. How on earth did this, this contraption Get, what's the story to splitboarding? How did it, how did it come to be, and how common is it now? I'd say it's it's very common. Um, you see a lot of splitboarders out there now. It's not as big as backcountry skiing. I think a lot of people try splitboarding, and then they give up and they just switch to skiing. Um, <laughs> so the gear has improved uh quite a bit since i think it started in the late 90s also need to fact check me on that i don't know (laughs) the exact date um but backcountry skiing and snowboarding has been around for thousands of years like i've seen videos of people like you know, doing it old school where they put the yak skins on the bottoms of their like wooden planks and they're touring up into their backyard and um, having a great time on the way down. So it's been a way to travel in the snow uh, in an in efficient way and have a fun, have a fun ride down. Um, yeah. For a long time. <laughs> uh, but splitboarding specifically, you know, it's it's something that it's like there, there's just no matched feeling than it's it's like surfing. You know, it's what it's what keeps surfers coming back. And it's like once you make that connection and once you once something clicks in your brain that like writing powder feels good, okay. <laughs> that's like all you want to do. Um, and then it's just, and it just like makes you smile and it's, it's super fun. And it's a fun experience to share with your friends. And it's a really cool way to experience, you know, the backyard and go places you wouldn't normally go. All right. Um, So help me, so help me out here. So a split board is basically super layman's explanation of this. You're going to probably correct. You're going to, you're going to fact check me. 
it's basically a snowboard that's been cut in two. So it's like, to me, that's just translation. That's fat skis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So because it's split in two, you can kind of use it to climb with. Is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Gearhouse was saying that people like put carpet underneath them to help. And I'm like, <laughs> huh? But why not just use skis? I think there's something special about riding one board. Um, okay. For some people, it, yeah, like I said, it feels a lot like surfing. And there's just, okay. I, you know, I grew up skiing. So I have memories of like the boots, the skis, the poles, and like everything. And like when you garage sale, it's like your shit's all over the place. <laughs> Um, all over the mountain, but when you're snowboarding, it's like it's just you and the board. And but you still have bindings, you still yes. have boots, you, yeah. you don't have poles, but you yeah. still well, you have... do have poles. But you can you usually split boarders get the collapsible ones that fit inside your backpack. Okay. Um, okay. so that but some split boarders like to, I mean, it depends on what kind of terrain you're in, but some people will be like snowboarding with poles, which is is a funny, is a funny look, but it, it totally works. Okay. How did you get exposed to splitboarding? I'm going to guess, is the progression, your, your dad taught you how to ski on two regular traditional mm-hmm. K2 skis. Mm-hmm. And then you got into snowboarding because it was becoming, everybody was doing it. I mean, type thing. I mean, it's very, it's very common to see people snowboarding yeah. nowadays. Okay. In the early 2000s, I was like, I... Yeah, I was just like really entranced by the skate in snow and surf culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd see these like badass women with this long flowy hair, (laughs) like shredding and carving. And I was just like, wow, that that sense of like empowerment and that sense Mm -hmm. of strength. And but also the like femininity and the fluidity that you can that you can find like. Okay. It just kind of becomes like a dance, like with whatever, whatever, like medium you choose. Uh, but I was, I've always been a total tomboy. Like I was reading like Thrasher magazines and uh, that I found it like that, you know, of course my parents were like, no, you're not like going to subscribe to that. <laughs> but every <laughs> once in a while I would get to like pick one up and, you know, you like open a page and it's like a like really bloody, like wipeout or a broken bone. And you're like, Oh, Oh God, <laughs> like, I'm not ready to face that side of, of skateboarding. <laughs> but um, I, I had a, a really uh, old school longboard that I would try to, uh, to teach myself on and um, I just I just didn't have like the community or the mentorship necessarily but there were like people that I looked up to and obviously social media wasn't really a thing back then mm-hmm. to the extent that it is now so uh, you know I didn't I didn't wasn't following anyone on Instagram I just like wasn't looking at anyone else really and how they were doing things as far as like celebrities go but or athletes but there were there was like movement and there was culture that I was really influenced by and that was uh yeah skate surf snow uh which I feel like all require a plank of some sort to ride (laughs) 
<laughs> a plank of some sort. All yeah. Right. Perfect. So have you, to, let's talk about longboarding for just a second. Totally. Um, have you ever heard of this downhill longboarding? Like yeah. down in, uh, like out of Goldendale? It's insane, like seeing the kind of stuff that people can ride. I, yeah. I had, I had Props. a... a <laughs> I had a guest on, they own a coffee roaster, right? And we're, we're talking and, and, and typically the way the conversation goes, and you'll get this question a little later. It's like, so when you're not doing the thing that you do, what do you like to do? Right. So mm -hmm. we're there, you know, when you're not roasting coffee, what do you like to do? and he goes, well, I'm a, I'm a longboarder and I raced downhill mm. and the guy's about my age, Epic. which means you know, he should be in a home. <laughs> um, and I'm like, what do you mean longboard? He goes, oh, well, there's up in, and I forget the place, um, but out of Goldendale, Mary Hill, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, we grew up camping there. Okay, so Mary Hill, I guess this estate that was made by a guy who was in the concrete business. And so there's like two miles of pristine concrete winding down the hill. Mm -hmm. And he, he'll, he'll, so they race downhill and he'll, he'll hit like 50 some miles an hour on his longboard. Wow. And all I can think of is broken bones and yeah. you know missing teeth. And then he tells me that his daughters who are early teens at best and probably preteen are, are they're, they're riding luges down the hill. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, okay, I am not an adrenaline junkie this, but on, on some level, all of that sounds really cool in a scary sort of way. It sounds like that would probably be up your your wheelhouse too. It's a plank. It's got wheels. I guess you can just ride down a hill really fast. Yeah. I guess, uh, I, when it comes to risk and when it comes to injury, <laughs> um, knock on wood, I've avoided, uh, a fair amount. <laughs> so, okay, so, and I think that's just choosing like I'm also risk like not the most coordinated person, but yeah, risk management, risk management. Okay. And, uh, and, and also just like risk tolerance, like my mm -hmm. tolerance for risk is like, I like to take things in, in bite-sized chunks. Um, okay. but when it comes to like dropping a cliff or, you know, riding a certain steep face, it's like, okay, let's just work our way up to that because I'm, I'm mostly self-taught in everything. Like I haven't really had any like le former lessons. So when it comes to like technique, I'm kind of unlearning some bad habits. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, like I, yeah. So long, the longboarding thing is more just fun and cruisy and, um, okay. a fun way to get around and get that, that kind of surfy feeling. Um, my, my partner and I recently decided to try and longboard down from Snoqualmie pass to, um, Franklin falls. And that's a, it's quite the road. I must say it's a one way road out of a, a campground, which we were staying at. And uh, we thought, Oh, might as well. Like it's only like a mile and uh, it's kind of a fun, like smoky day activity. Didn't take too much like output. And uh, we were both in over our heads. Like he has a more of a carver longboard where you can, it's almost like snowboarding. Like you can okay. really get those nice fluid turns. Um, but I just have this little like rocket. <laughs> And so it's like, I just wanted to go like straight down the hill. And I just, uh, I just uh, took it, took it in bite-sized chunks to preserve, okay. preserve my ankles. Okay. So I, so we, we, we rabbit hole there. 
splitboarding. How were you exposed to that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, splitboarding. Let's see. I, so my first like backcountry trip, I was with a group of friends from college that were all from Idaho and Montana and Wyoming, like all these just rad, rad mountain people. And, um, sorry about the notification there. Uh, rad mountain people that I really looked up to and just had a, had a great time with. And they invited me out to a little backcountry trip up to a hut. And, uh, I had, I think I mentioned this earlier, but just, uh, you know, snowshoes and my snowboard and my overnight gear strapped to my back. Uh, mm-hmm. and I remembered that feeling of being just walking up the hill, like breathing with each step and, and thinking about how, I mean, my, my heritage is kind of Northern European mutt. <laughs> um, but it, I just could feel that there's this, this sense of like, this is what this is like in my blood, like this is what my ancestors did. And this is really, this is really like what my body is like happy doing. And what makes me happy is like being at higher elevations and being in cold weather and just kind of feeling the elements. And I saw my friends, uh, so my friend, his nickname is Squirrel or the Flying Squirrel. Uh, he's an athlete for uh, Burton Snowboards and he runs a uh, a window washing, a window cleaning business up here in Bellingham. He's he's been really successful with that, and uh, he but he's a professional snowboarder as well. And he just had okay. a snowboard, a Burton, um, I don't I don't know, family tree. I think they started that around that time. But yeah, he he had a split board and another friend Ryan uh, or Rymo, uh, he had a split board, and I just thought, you know, that looks so much more efficient and so much more uh just fluid than and less gear so you don't have to carry your snowboard on your back um right. and they just had their their splitboard on the bottom of their feet and you know those little uh unit directional stickers that i like to call them like hairy stickers uh which are your skins um okay. they go on the bottom and then that and then your bindings you know adjust so i first rode a splitboard not until maybe later that spring or the next year uh, at Alpenthal Vert Fest, where they do a race from the bottom of the mountain to the top. And then you ski down and it, that's skiers and snowboarders, but um, they had a bunch of demo tents and I rented a, uh, or demoed a volley split board um, and got to ride that in the side country. Like my dad took me around and kind of showed me uh, some of the side country and the shoots there. So I got to to experience riding a split board as a solid board to see what that felt like. And it it felt really good. It didn't, didn't chatter. It didn't, didn't come apart or anything. Uh, It felt quite solid. And I think the technology has gotten so much better and lighter since then. And it just feels like you're riding a normal snowboard. Um, Caracorum makes their tip and tail clips that are really bomber and their bindings that help keep everything together and, um, I've been riding Arbor snowboards since I started snowboarding, um, okay. I was 13. So they make really amazing women's specific split boards, uh, and I've been able to kind of just see how the technology has advanced since then. But my first like real split board, uh, experience, like getting up on the skins 
and walking uphill was um, summoning Mount Baker in 2015. And uh, I had convinced a friend who's a mountain guide to take me up uh, the south side. We went up the Squawk Glacier and we uh, got to the, we had started at 3 a.m., you know, dodging frogs on the trail and it's dark out, you know, like the sun's coming up over the glaciers and uh, we got to the snow line and I put my splitboard together and started started walking and um, this is a demo that I had gotten from the American Alpine Institute. Uh, I had won like a raffle to rent a certain amount from, from the uh, Alpine Institute. And I thought, you know, I'm going to rent a splitboard and climb Baker as my celebration of graduating college and moving on from Bellingham <laughs> for the time being. And uh, I thought, well, what better way to do that than to go ride the peak that has been, you know, the great, the great white watcher, the Como Colchin, uh, over the, over the city. And, uh, so yeah, I put my skins on and immediately started sliding backwards <laughs> and, uh, realized, Oh, I don't really know how to do this. And my friend <laughs> said, so this is your first time on a split board and you are trying to summit Baker right now. And I said, yeah. And, He's like, oh my God, like what are we in for? <laughs> this is at like 5.30 in the morning or six in the morning. Just like, what should I get myself into? But we made it, we summited. And uh, I, I definitely was like, wow, this is one of the most intense experiences uh, of my life at the time. And just the most physically exerting, like at the time I was experimenting with like, different dietary things too and so I was like raw vegan at the time okay. and I was just like I don't know how much like mango dried mango I can eat for this <laughs> like to feel and I real, I real, I experienced like very a very like uh heavy bonk which is like when you don't have enough food you don't have enough water and you just you feel like your body just like totally uh -huh. giving out on you <laughs> but we got to the summit and it was just like the funnest ride down like thousands of feet on this mm -hmm. like really nice corn and you know jumping over little crevasses trying not to not to get solid up there but uh yeah Mount Baker was was my first like splitboard trip okay yeah <laughs> don't don't highly recommend that <laughs> that way of going but you know, I don't, I don't like to half-ass anything. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that. So you, you summit Baker. That's your first time summiting Baker. You first time snow split boarding. Mm -hmm. What have you done for fun since? Uh, I have just become like a total split board nerd <laughs> not as much of like a gear nerd like i have friends that are really into it but um mm -hmm. it's I, I did the turns all year thing for a while where you you make a point to go split boarding and go ride some kind of snow at least once a month so that includes august and september and october oh when you have to hike really far to go find snow um or so where yeah. where did you go to find snow in september primarily i mean mount rainier uh you mm -hmm. know there's you can see snow up there so sure. you just have to hike a little further to get there 
uh, or, you know, in the North Cascades, like there's a few, a few trails you can go. Um, but it just really depends on like what the snow, snow level and like what the snow pack Have did you ever summited Rainier? Um, I've gotten pretty like close and I, I wanted to go for it this year, but as far as like lining up the conditions, I would just because I want to snowboard off it. I think like off the summit, but there's there's a lot that needs to kind of line up, and your your schedule needs to be kind of like okay, Rainier's good right now. Let's go, 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 go. go, go. Um, go, go yeah. And my buddy okay. Max, um, he's he's a really just powerful human and athlete. Got like the line that uh, got the route that I was like want looking mm-hmm. at this year. And uh, I saw that he had like powder from like the summit to like midway and then like corn. And he rode all the way down um, to the bridge um, past the the Nisqually shoots. And I just thought, oh man, (laughs) like he got the perfect day to do it. Or else it could be really dangerous. How long does this take? You can do it in a day. (laughs) So you go up and back in a day. Yeah, if you're if you're like Max and you have superhuman strength, yeah, um, or a lot. Most people do it in two days, two or three in days. In two days, yeah. Okay, wow. I I've had a lot of climbers on, a lot of uh-huh. people that have uh, summited Rainier. I, I I have a a guest. He's been on. He's been on twice now. I'm actually going to record another episode with him this coming weekend, so he'll oh, be on cool. for a third time. And he's, he's, I, I was introduced to him because of, he's a musician. So we're, we're talking and, and, and I think of him as a guitar player, right? And we're talking and he likes to go hiking. And I thought, oh, he said something about summiting Rainier. And I said, so you summited Rainier? He goes, oh yeah, I think 13 times now. Wow. And I'm just like, huh? <laughs> you know what? He goes, oh yeah, that's what we do. So this summer they, um, they recreated a hike from the 1800s uh, instead of riding horses from basically from Stellicum area and DuPont up to Rainier. Uh, they rode electric bicycles to replicate the horses. And then I think, I don't know that they summited. Uh, I haven't, well, I'll find this out when I sit down with them this, this weekend. Um, yeah. There's some weird people in the world. I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, we people. all do. We all, we all have our weird hobbies. I mean, cause like what I'm into, you might go, Oh, that's really weird. I wouldn't want to do that. And, <laughs> I'm, I'm not thinking I don't want to do what you're doing. Right, I'm thinking right. I'm terrified of doing what you're doing. So I won't do it because it's too scary for me. Um, and besides, it's cold. And I don't. Um, even though I'm Northern European heritage, we've migrated to Southern Europe. We want the warm uh-huh, climate. Uh-huh. I don't want cold. Anyway. Hence um, being on the east east side. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it gets cold here too. They, <laughs> yeah, totally. They, they, they over, the, you know, the, this, anyway, I kid. You know, this, this last winter was brutal. Um. So you summited Baker first time and in first time really on split boards. That's mm-hmm. okay. That's a head scratcher to me. Honestly, that is like a, <laughs> you say you're risk adverse. But I look, I look back at I think that was just pure stupidity on my part. Uh, 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 nothing personal, but okay. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would no, not no, encourage no. anyone to do this. Like I don't even really like telling that story that much. Cause it just, wow. I just don't want to encourage other people to do that because it puts others at risk as well. Right, right. No, and I, I'm teasing you, but at the same no, time, I agree, totally. I agree. I agree that it's, you know, it is a, a, a thing. So you're not paying the bills by split boarding. You're not paying the bills by uh, snowboarding and all that. You're 
paying the bills by doing graphic design, mm -hmm. brand, brand, brand work for people. Mm -hmm. But your work seems to have a very much influenced by the outdoors. Definitely. So how have you been able to find that niche? Yeah. Yeah. I, so in, so I'll kind of go back a few, a few steps, uh, just to give you a little bit more context. But when I was deciding which colleges to go to and what to study, um, I mean, I, I grew up sailing. I grew up in the Puget Sound. I loved marine biology. Um, mm, and my original okay. idea was to go be a marine biologist because uh, the flora and the fauna is just are so amazing. And so, there's just discoveries to be had in the ocean still. And I just love like the idea of being outside and like getting to commune with nature. Um, okay. <laughs> so I originally thought, okay, I think it'd be cool to be um, more in the marine world, but I had applied for colleges and looked at prereqs and looked at everything. And um, everyone, you know, it was just, and I took some, some high level like art classes in high school. And I took some pre-college art classes through Cornish college of the arts and uh, where we learned some more fine art skills like figure drawing and oil painting and screen printing and printmaking. Um, and I, my, both my parents are, were career designers. My dad was an art director for Boeing. And then my mom was an apparel ski wear designer for oh, wow. uh, okay. Pacific Trail. And okay. uh, yeah, both Seattle, Seattle-based companies. And uh, they said, you should, you should be a designer. You'd, you'd be a good designer. You should just be a designer. And I, th I thought like, okay, but like the environment needs saving and everything like needs, like we need to pay attention. To, and, and we grew up pretty like eco-conscious and pretty health conscious as well. So there, there was that influence. Um, mm -hmm. but also we spent a lot of time outdoors together as a family, whether that was sailing or windsurfing or skiing or whatever, uh, whatever the season provided. And, uh, I went to Western because I have a history, family history of, um, other family members going here and, uh, mm -hmm. just good kind of, it just lined up with financial, like, <laughs> I looked at art colleges in California and, uh, and whatnot, and it was, it was expensive um, for mm -hmm. our family. So we decided to keep it local. And uh, they also had, Western had um, Huxley College of the Environment, which is now uh, College of the Environment. And they uh, had just like an amazing environmental program. So I thought, okay, my plan is, I'll minor in environmental studies and I'll major in graphic design. And, okay. uh, and that way I can learn more about um, the climate. I can learn more about uh, marine biology. I can, I can take ocean science courses. I can take ecology. I can, but I can also take like sociology and psychology and philosophy and all the other things that I'm interested in. So I think that all really led to where I'm at now. And that is just kind of coming back to like my roots as a, as a human. Um, but I did internships in college and, and one of those internships was with a local agency in Bellingham that was hired to do the rebrand for ski to see which is the uh, relay race 
mm-hmm. that um, that happens here like every Memorial Day weekend. And so that was like my first kind of outdoor industry brand project. And uh, I got to do like the website for that and um, help with the, I, I wasn't the one who designed the brand identity for that, but um, we worked together as like a small team to kind of bring the brand to life. And uh, that was, that was kind of my first exposure. And then I saw there was a uh, internship and position at um, Frequency, the Snowboarders Journal and the Ski Journal. Okay. And uh, it's also the Flyfish Journal. So it's it's three three magazines under one one brand oh, okay. and, uh, or one company, and um, they're based in Bellingham. So I applied for an internship there for my next one, and. Uh, and I just loved it. Like I loved working with like the beautiful content and working with like the photographers and the writers and, and all of the just amazing stories that people had. And I was just really inspired to, to keep going in that route. Um, and then I worked for a skate and snowboard retailer uh, based in Seattle as well. Um, zoomies as many mm-hmm. many of you might know, might know. <laughs> yeah. so, so just a little a little company yeah they're just a, just a little they're company. huge yeah I worked on on the web team there and uh and then I decided to try and go um try tech and so I worked at Microsoft for about nine months and I decided um it was although it was a very wonderful experience with amazing humans I I was in a time in my life where I had a, I was having like a quarter life crisis and I was thinking like, maybe design isn't what I want to do. Like, maybe I want to go be a mountain guide. Maybe I just want to, like, I was just, I was getting, I was burning myself out cause I was also doing freelance. Um, so I was moonlighting and I've been freelancing since 2011. So mm-hmm. just hustling uh, really hard. <laughs> Um, on clients of all kinds, so health and wellness, um, outdoor recreation, whatever, you know, it, there's mm-hmm. CBD brands, like there's, there's kind of been a, a good array of clients, but that's how I kind well, of I'm, got into the outdoor industry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm looking, so one of the, one of the places that you have on your resume is, is Crystal Mountain Resort. Mm-hmm. with the title of brand identity manager. Mm-hmm. Walk me through that. So what, what oh. did you do for Christmas? <laughs> uh, when and don't I, say I, I helped build their brand. No, I mean, uh, build it out a little bit. What is a brand identity manager doing for crystal? So, so a brand identity is really just the expression and like who a brand is like when you when you think about like your favorite company like you think about like okay you've got their logo you've got their ethos you've got their like the way that they the way that they write the way that they take photos the way that they take videos like or you know there's there's a whole system like an identity system that works Mm -hmm. together to create this voice um so brand voice i mean that's what we, what I work on uh, with, an, with an agency where they do a lot of like copywriting and voice development, but uh, an identity is, is kind of the holistic approach. And 
Um, I had a professor once tell me that she's like, your, your brain kind of works like when you're doing like you're working on projects, like your brain kind of works as like a funnel, like all the ideas are up here. And then you refine, refine, refine until you have like the final product. And that's okay. final product is the brand. So it's like, okay, you have this cloud of concepts, like this theme. Um, and that's, that's the identity, but you know, you, the expression could be just a logo or just a color scheme, or there's kind of a lot of different, um, avenues that a brand can be expressed. So did Crystal bring you in to help clarify their vision then? Did they have, you know, the cloud full of ideas and they were uncertain of how to, what, what they wanted to do or how did, because Crystal's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what was the, what was their impetus to bring in this type of position? Just a, a refresh, if you will. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know if Crystal knew what was coming when I applied for a job there. <laughs> I was like coming in super like really amped up. Like I just spent a year in New Zealand, like living, working like remotely, uh, living out of a van, snowboarding wow, okay. and surfing and climbing and just like super amped up on <laughs> all of that. And I had kind of some, some clients down there and, um, was working for clients in the States as well. And uh, I was just like, I had fully recovered from my quarter life crisis and had reaffirmed my purpose in life that yes, I am a, like a brand person. Like I love, I love doing brand design. Um, and I want to focus on I wasn't necessarily like going to funnel myself into the outdoor industry, but I was like, I, I just, I thought like, okay, if I could do anything with my life, like what would it be? What sounds the most fun? And mm -hmm. the answer that came up really organically was I'd snowboard as much as possible and do graphic design and make cool art. And uh, I was like, okay, that would be like my ideal reality. So once I thought about that and, and started kind of like looking at patterns and looking at like ideas of like what could, how that could manifest itself, um, a, co a colleague from like an old instructor job at Baker uh, had reached out and said, hey, we, we have a job at Crystal um, and there is some design involved but it would be like a cool opportunity for you to get your foot in the door here. So, Hey, and I found a place, you have a place to live. Like here's a room you can rent. And, uh, so I went, I drove to, to crystal mountain and they told me to dress mountain casual for my interview. So <laughs> whatever that like, I was like, Oh, I can wear Patagonia. This is great. Um, and uh, I, I like went to my interview and uh, it was primarily a group sales position. So I learned more about sales and marketing. Uh, and it, there was about three or four other people on the marketing team. And, um, and after about a month of doing sales, uh, they realized, wow, like Erica sucks at sales. <laughs> so they said, no offense, we're going to, because I just don't want to sell someone like I'm not good at upselling things like 
my I'm not a salesperson I'm like well if you don't want it don't buy it like you know I'm not here to like convince (laughs) Like I just, I'm too honest for my own, my own good. And well, uh, no, I don't. I you know, don't, don't, don't. Seriously, seriously, don't. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm my day job is sales. Okay, yeah, totally. so I, I my my day job is sales, and it's completely okay if the the prospect doesn't want the add-on. Yeah, they don't buy the add-on. Right. You don't have to feel guilty that you didn't, you know, sell them something they didn't want that's that's good salesmanship yeah it's bad salesmanship when you sell them you know the extended warranty on the 20 the 2011 ford explorer that's got 300,000 miles on it that's going to explode in two days that's yeah, bad that's bad yeah. so don't so don't don't say you're not a good salesperson that's, okay okay you know that's limiting self-talk now, okay. now we can move on all so, right thank you but you sucked at, you <laughs> sucked you. at sales i was not good well so i also like numbers like you know looking at spreadsheets and things like my brain just kind of turns off um okay i can understand numbers when they have context and there's like a visual expression. It's like, okay, I know that 1080 by 1080 is like a social media square. Like in my brain, that's like locked in because I have like a very photographic memory. Like I can look at something and just okay. remember the details. But it's like, but I see the the vertical line. I see the the, the zero. I see, you know, I, I see like shapes in numbers and I have mm-hmm. to like, anyways. Okay. So they're like, Erica's really right brained. Like, she's better at doing design work. So we're just going to let her do design work and we're going to bring someone else in for sales. Cause like we were pretty overwhelmed at that point, like with only three people on the marketing team, as you can imagine for the world or not the world, um, Washington, <laughs> Washington's mm-hmm. largest ski area, having only three right. marketing people. And this was like before we were, um, we had gotten uh, bought by Altera um, which is like the company that owns like the icon pass. And so, mm-hmm. um, once I had started when they, uh, like I'd started just like at that turning point, like Altera had just taken over, um, not taken over. That sounds like, like there, there's still like a lot of autonomy. Like it wasn't like, they're like, this is the way you need to operate your mountain. Like they kind of just, gave us like funding in exchange for mm-hmm. like being a part of their, their past family and, and whatnot and allowing their, their guests to be, um, to have access to, to the resort. But, uh, so yeah, I just, I just did a lot of poster design and event design and, uh, part of that Altera purchasing was funding for a new logo and brand identity and brand expression because it had been since the early 2000s, I think, since Crystal Mountain had had done that. And um, the team was in upper management was starting to feel like, you know, we're, we're kind of ready for a new, a new face. Like we're ready for mm-hmm. uh, like a refresh, an identity refresh, something that's like a little bit more current with the times. Um, so what we originally did was uh, brought in an agency um, from Denver that our president had worked with and uh he had had success with them like rebranding snowshoe mountain where he used to he used to work and um they had a a a nice portfolio of uh other mountain rebrands and so they seemed to be um a good a good fit for us we did look at local agencies um but i think they had some competitor uh 
clients that it didn't line up to to work with mm -hmm. with Crystal. Um, so so the agency really helped us build a foundation for the brand with all the brand strategy and the research and looking at our customer demographics and where are the, where are people coming from and like who are who is Crystal like who is mm -hmm. the Crystal skier and snowboarder. And so who is, let me interrupt you. Who is the crystal ski, skier and snowboarder? Where, where do people come from that ski and snowboard on that mountain? Primarily. So because the, the pass, it's not a pass necessarily. It's, mm -hmm. um, right. it's a one way road up <laughs> yeah. 410 cause they close it right there in Mount Rainier mm -hmm. national park. So we do get people over from, um, from Yakima, the east side, but it's not as common as, you know, let's mm -hmm. say White Pass, for example, that's like, that's their closest like home mountain. Mm -hmm. um, so it's primarily people from the greater Seattle area. And okay. that can be anywhere like from, you know, like up to Everett down to like Olympia and even down to Portland. Like we'd have people mm -hmm. coming up from, from Portland on an extended trip. And uh, that, that is, I mean, there's just a lot of terrain that the crystal offers. So there's a lot of space for people to spread out. Um, mm -hmm. And they, they work, they work their asses off to keep the lift spinning um, so that everyone can, can enjoy, can enjoy it. Okay. So, so really crystal though is, is because of 410 being closed, it really is kind of a Western Washington destination. Yeah. You can definitely say that. I'd, I'd say like okay. to classify it as a destination, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, typically you think of like Whistler as a destination because there's so many things to do there. If you're not a skier or a snowboarder and mm -hmm. Crystal's kind of, it's, it's kind of got that mom and pop feel still because mm -hmm. the, some of the people that are working there have worked there since, you know, since they were teenagers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so there's mm -hmm. this, this kind of, mom and pop feel that you still have there uh and people that are just super passionate about the mountain and super passionate about the terrain and the lifestyle that they've created there um okay. but yeah it is it is a destination i would say for a lot of people when they get there they're either really stressed out because they just spent you know four hours driving with their kids screaming in the back like uh you know wanting hot cocoa or whatever or they really have to go to the bathroom or you know there's like <laughs> or they're really just like relaxed to to be there like and happy to be right. there um you know if they've if they've planned uh accordingly for their day <laughs> <laughs> so they were able to so this ad agency was able to quantify if you will who the who's the avatar for crystal mountain mm -hmm. for, okay so we came up with a few uh kind of personas and here are these here are these archetypes for our customer we have these three different personas that we feel like our brand speaks to like these are the people that are paying attention to us mm -hmm. and these are like general yeah like archetypes and uh once we had that uh we thought about okay how do we how do we reach these people and how do we talk to these people and what do these people want so looking at where do these people ski what stores do they shop at like what's their income level like what what are what's their lifestyle like what are they interested in so you right. get that that psychology um aspect in the in the brand 
research. You really just like want to learn um, how you can connect with people and how you can how you can relate and how you can communicate better. So they really helped us build build a good foundation there. And then after you've left, you left Crystal, you've got your own mountain mind now, which is your own mm-hmm. firm. Firm sounds grandiose. You know, <laughs> it's you really know. just me in my in my spare bedroom here. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so yeah, but so so you're a you're a, a solo entrepreneur. Now, so I'm going to remind you of a couple of things you said here. Mm-hmm. Not that I agree with you, but I'm going to remind you of a couple of things you said. Number one, you said you don't like to sell, and number two, you don't like numbers. <laughs> So running your own business doesn't require either of those two things. Absolutely not. Um, not none of that. You don't have to look. You don't have, you know, yeah. No, I, and I kid. But so for, as a solopreneur, how has this been? Now, you said you were always doing, you know, you've been doing side jobs for a while. And in my brain, a side job is something you enjoy doing, but the lights are going to stay on because of the main gig. Like mm-hmm. whatever, you know whatever you do for the main thing keeps the Mm -hmm. basic of life going, but the side hustle is something that you're doing to refresh your soul from the the soulless job that you have or whatever, or whatever. So you've obviously sold because you've had side hustles for a long time. So you've, you've obviously sold, but how has the journey been for you now? This Mm -hmm. is, this is your shingle. This is your thing. (laughs) I I see it as I've always been a very like I'd say like independent person um but I really really believe in the power of the collective and the power of collaboration um so although I do things alone it's all about it like these things would not be possible without like other super talented creatives um because mm-hmm. i can't i'm not an octopus <laughs> i don't have like a camera over here uh you know a tablet over here and like whatever i i can only do one thing at a time as i mean i try to do as many things as i can at a time but um it's it's really been just tapping into the creative network here in, mm-hmm. in washington specifically and um and I, I work with creative directors, art directors, like illustrators, like people of all practices to help like bring these brands to life and um, or refresh a new life or communicate a new vision uh, for, for whatever their goals are. Um, that's That's been super, super fun. So I can't take all the credit um, for for everything that I do. Like, it's not just, it's not just me out here. It's, it's a big, it's a, it's a pool of creatives. (laughs) We're all just kind of in this like fishbowl together. Um, and the outdoor industry gets smaller and smaller, like the more I've, I've been in it. And I, I love that. Um, I love like, you know, Oh, so-and-so used to work at MSR and now they like, now we work on, projects all together and it's just so fun like pulling people together from different backgrounds that have maybe known each other for for years and it's just uh it's really cool kind of seeing what what kind of collaboration can happen but um one of my first like couple projects uh freelancing was like 
a lot of illustration work um, because that was my background was in fine art. And so people would hire me to paint pictures of their pets because mm-hmm. <laughs> they thought, oh, hey, you're, a, you're an artist and I like your style. Like, can you, can you paint a picture of my horse? Can you paint a picture of my cat? Like, and that was mm-hmm. um, kind of where I, I like, it wasn't really a business or like a hustle necessarily. It was more just like doing things because people needed them or wanted them and uh, they liked they liked what I was putting out there in the world as an artist. And it's kind of always been that way. Like people have just seen my art and my designs and they're like, well, I really like that. Can you, can you do that for me? <laughs> and uh, I think people are, are realizing that there's so much more that goes in, into it than just like a pretty picture or like a logo. There's like a whole process. And uh, cause it just becomes so much more rich. Like anyone, anyone can make like, something that looks cool but it's like what is it what does it mean and like what is it trying to communicate and like what is it trying to sell (laughs) well so so how so okay you've just you you've just basically have said that you you call yourself a brand steward i would say a brand wrangler maybe because you're hurting (laughs) the cats to get them all together and all those things but but this is all involved salesmanship too Mm -hmm. That you have to you have to convince a business owner that um, they don't need to go to Fiverr to get a logo. Mm-hmm. That there's more to articulating the brand's vision and mission, mm-hmm. and it's obvious that that's what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. How do you convince business owners to? And I'm asking because as a business owner, so how do you convince business owners that? You don't, you know, and I'm not trying to disparage Fiverr, but totally. you know, a, a lot of people, um, they want something and they want it as cheap as possible because they don't necessarily understand the value that it's providing. So how have you been able to express that to these, to your clients, to these outdoor companies that you're working with? Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there's kind of a two way street. It's like, if you, like, if you want to work together um let's find a way like let's meet each other in the middle like what whatever works for like Mm -hmm. budget and timeline and needs but i'd find i find that like the best relationships with clients are never the ones where i feel like i'm forcing them to see like my value um Mm -hmm. or see like the yeah see the value in branding like the best relationships are the ones that uh, they already know they want to work together because there's something that there's experience like that I have or that I know that they, they want. So typically like it's just word of mouth, like how I get my clients Mm -hmm. or, or referrals, like, Hey, we really liked working with Erica. You should go, you should go talk to her or people just find my work on Instagram or through friends of friends. Um, And, and that can be just, super organic. And I, I find that like the relationships feel so much less strained. And sometimes like I do get people reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm a small business and da da da. This is what I want to do. And, and I say, well, yeah, I, I would love to help you. Um, but like, I also am a small business and I have bills to pay and groceries to buy. So I have to charge, uh, accordingly so that I can, I can keep going. So sometimes like those right. numbers like don't line up, 
um, mm-hmm. which is okay. And, and I like to have other designers and people that I can refer um, that maybe are, are side hustling as well. And maybe they don't charge as much or they're younger in their career and they don't um, have like, or they don't eat as much. I'm just uh, who knows? I do eat a lot, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's surprising. That's surprising. Um, this is an calories. audio only. Th- this this is an audio only format, and so I have to describe. Uh, from what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing of Erica, she doesn't look like she eats a lot, folks. She's she's quite she's quite fit looking and and on the thin side. Where I, on the other hand, am not. <laughs> well. I, I love that because I think what I'm hearing in our conversation is you're passionate about the outdoors uh, and this carries over to you're passionate about helping brands reach their market in a more of a holistic way. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, that's kind of, there's a, some synergy there. Mm-hmm. But I have to ask you a really important question mm-hmm. now. I mean, this is maybe the most important question of the entire show, and that is coffee. Yeah. Are you <laughs> a fan of coffee? Fuel. <laughs> creative fuel all right where do you go for creative fuel i uh i love uh just trying different coffee roasters and i love like trying different blends and um i'm a black coffee drinker i don't put anything in my i love it unless it's the afternoon unless it's like the second dose and i know it's gonna like wreck me for the rest of the day like i will i'll do like some oat milk in my coffee but um or coconut milk or whatever um but in the morning it's just black drip pour over maybe a little bit of like chaga reishi lion's mane mushroom blend in there for some mental clarity so i don't get the crash but um yeah i'm a i'm like a gasoline drinker okay (laughs) currently where are you getting coffee from? Who's, who's got, who's roasting good beans for you and what type of coffee? Like, what do you like? What's your coffee roast profile? My, I love like chocolatey with a little bit of fruity, um, dark flavors that are just really rich. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like the tangy lighter, lighter flavors. Like there's a couple of coffee roasters I've tried in, in Portland that, are really like trendy and I just am like, God, I just, I don't know if this like, is really suiting my palate. Like I love the rich dark chocolate kind of undertones. Okay. Um, one of my favorite roasters in Washington is blue star coffee and they're based out in the Met How. and uh, you can find their stuff um, in stores like select stores around uh, like usually co-ops Um because they're, I think they're organic and fair trade, but uh, yeah, they're, which, they're in the twist. Which one of Blue Stars? Which one of Blue Stars roast do you like? I like the the Highway Twenty blend. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> but I also haven't tried all of them, so there's okay. a little bit of uh, exploration to do there. But have, I, have I you love ever? Them. Have you been to their roastery in Twisp? Yes. The new one or the old one? I think, the little one? I think the little or the one. Big one. Yeah, I haven't. Okay, I don't so think they I've been just, to the new one. The new one. I haven't been inside the new one yet. I've only been to the the order uh-huh. window. They are, yeah, they're, yeah, they're so good. I I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> they do a they do a they do a. There's other. Trust me, I there's 
plenty of other so great many. coffee companies, but but Blue Star, everything about that company has uh, been, you know, I, I I agree. And the Highway Twenty blend, uh, that's probably my go-to. <laughs> Whenever yes, that's what, yeah, I, yeah, whenever yeah, I yeah. go over there, I have to get some, and it's just it's just not the same. Like, I mean, sometimes yeah. if I'm feeling nostalgic, I'll buy it at a grocery store here, but like usually it's in at the Mazama store or uh, you know at a, a little like shop over there. I like to like to stop there, but it just reminds me of like good times out there because like Matt House is one of my favorite places, and um, it just reminds me of yeah. really good good adventures and. Good vibes out there, but uh, yeah, like Mocha Joe's is great. I think they're based in Anacortes. Um, and right now, I'm sipping on uh, Pachamama Roasters. I think they're out of California somewhere. But I just, I also just buy things based on like the labels and the packaging because <laughs> I'm a designer. I do, and I I do too. I'm, I'm teasing you. I do too. I do. Too. <laughs> I just like that's, to have things on my shelf that look pretty. <laughs> that's like if, if somebody invites us over and it's like okay so what are we going to bring well, let's bring them a bottle of wine i'm like okay great so i go to the store and i'm like oh, this label yeah. looks cool i yeah i yeah. okay if i'm going to lunch in bellingham mm-hmm. where's a great place for me to go grab lunch oh depends on what kind of food you like and what like atmosphere you're looking for but um i'm pretty Let's see. I'm pretty partial to like plant-based foods because um, that's mm-hmm. that's how I keep myself healthy and and running. Um, it's not the coffee. Well, probably the coffee. It's good. I've heard it's good for your heart, <laughs> so I'm gonna it's, I'm gonna hang on to that yeah. one. Uh, I, let's see. It's so hard because I I love. Uh, there's so many restaurants that I love. Um, it's uh there's like new stuff popping up all the time too um there's a place called wild oat that that's where if i were to go to lunch today like Mm -hmm. what i was craving i would go there and they have um gluten-free like vegan stuff but they also have like uh stuff for for everybody else too like um they've got really great kind of sandwiches and soups and salads and fresh baked goods and coffee and uh yeah good desserts and everything but yeah wild oat is is great they're i think they're kind of like whenever i go there they're really busy but they're kind of tucked away they're i think on commercial or cornwall i always get those two streets mixed up but um yeah they're great okay as we wrap this up i have well two two questions and then you'll get the final Mm -hmm. word so question number one, and this is a very, very important question. I want you to take it seriously. Yeah. Just like everything else in this conversation. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. Cake or pie and why? Hmm. I'd say uh, I was so much more of a pie person because um, I love like Thanksgiving pies, but I recently had some amazing cake from um port angeles there's this place called new day eatery and they make like a gluten-free vegan cake um they make this like champagne cake that's just like insanely good or peanut butter cake as well they've got they've got that but 
Um, okay. I don't know. I I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm becoming more of a cake person, but I used to love right. used to love apple pie. That was like my go-to. No, was your go-to? Yeah. So there's no wrong answer. It's so hard. Just, but, <laughs> but we, yeah, I stole this question from a, a previous guest. Um, they used it on their podcast, and I thought this is just a great question because it's. But I never. What I wouldn't. What I haven't. What I didn't realize was just how difficult a question is for everybody. Yeah. Nobody goes, I like X, like cake or pie and Y. And they're like, um, uh, uh, you know, they don't know how to answer. It's, it's pretty funny. So the other question then is what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Um, let's see. I mean, we could go so many different routes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, let's see. Yeah, we talked about snowboarding. We talked about splitboarding. We talked about design. Um, I'd say, ooh, I think this is a fun question for people. Uh, okay. I'll have two fun questions. Okay, number one is like, what do you collect? Like, what's the weird oh. random thing that you collect? Because I think everybody oh, great... collects stuff, but like to a certain extent. Um. And I don't know my, I don't even know why I brought this up. I just was looking around my room and I saw. <laughs> well, so now you have to answer yeah. the question. So what do you collect? Uh, I collect like things from the beach, like specifically uh, bones that I find that are cool. <laughs> it's pretty weird, but like, I love finding like little uh, like animal bones. Cause I like to kind of guess like where they came from and, I'm a huge fan of Georgia O'Keeffe and her style and like uh, her, her illustration style is just like, I don't know. She was a very influential artist. And so the way that she painted bones and skulls and stuff, I, I loved. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm giving you, you know, I'm giving you the kind of like perplexity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I seriously, I do understand. It doesn't matter what I think anyway. So you collect bones from the beach. All right. <laughs> What do you collect? Currently, I'm not actively collecting anything. Mm -hmm. But in the past, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell, tell two things I've collected. Um, I used to collect baseball cards. Mm -hmm. And for a while, I actually made a living selling pre-World War II West Coast minor league baseball memorabilia. So think about how, how niche that yeah. is, right? I mean, that's super, super niche. But um, I uh, used to collect um, baseball cards that came in cigarette packs from 1909, 1910, and 1911 from a tobacco company out of San Francisco called Oback Tobacco. And they were baseball cards of West Coast ballplayers from Victoria, Seattle, Tacoma, Spokane, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And so I collected those. That's very random. And the other thing I collected was, and, and this was something you didn't have to cost money to do. So it was kind of a fun thing. I collected and traded every Grateful Dead concert that was recorded. Um, That's awesome. I would, I would trade to, uh, and, and I did have a complete collection of every show that they recorded. Um, so Very cool. I don't, uh, yeah. So those are random things that I've collected in the past. Now I, yeah, now I, I'm not collecting anything. Yeah. 
Now I want to go look at my baseball cards. So, um, uh, so to wrap this up, if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you online? Uh, primarily, I'm the most active on Instagram, and that's Mountain Mind. Uh, so mountain, like a peak. And then mind, like mindfulness. Uh, so just one word, all lowercase. Uh, or mountainminddesign.com is my website. Uh, that's all linked on Instagram as well, but that's Instagram's kind of a raw day to day, like what's going on, what's inspiring, what's happening, events, mm -hmm. um, artwork, like stream of consciousness kind of style. Uh, okay. that's, that's all there. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun for me. I, I learned about, well, I learned there's a bunch of things I don't want to do, like <laughs> you know, and that's, that's okay. You know, it's, it doesn't mean, you know, uh, but I, it's, it's really apparent that you enjoy this stuff a lot and we live in a state that has a ton of opportunities. Yeah. So, well, thank you well, so much well, for having well, me. I do have one last question. Yeah, one last totally. question. So the, we're, we're recording this in October of 2020. Two. Mm -hmm. I was going to say 2021 because I don't know what year it is anymore. <laughs> October 2022. We're getting close to fall and winter, which means there will be more snowfall theoretically. Where do you want to go snowboarding this this season? I would really love to just explore more in the backcountry uh, up here in the North Cascades, but I'd also love to go Canada. Like, never been to Whistler. <laughs> I've okay. never okay. explored uh explored that that area so that's that's okay. on the list just go well, and you're fairly close i mean yeah. you're not i mean you're closer to it than we are so awesome well erica thank you so thanks much thanks so much scott yeah i really appreciate you uh having me on this was super fun Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.